Amen. Praise God. How you doing? Yes. Uh, glad you're here. Um, we're going to jump into 1 Peter. Uh, we're in the middle of a, of a series called Barriers, and I'll kind of recap and unpack that here in a second. But if you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter. I'm going to uh, do a few things before we get there, but just so you can find it's not a very big book, and it's kind of in the back, and so uh, it's easy to lose track of. So we're also going to throw up all the slides on the screen, so if that's just easier, if you track better with that, that's fine. But as you're flipping there, I want to tell you a little, little visual. I want to have a little visual. It's a true story. About maybe two weeks ago, uh, my son my four-year-old son was tinkling in the, in the potty. And also, I realized I used the word tinkle last week in a story, and I actually got a lot of feedback from you guys on that, that you did not like the word tinkle um, being used. And so my role, guys, as a pastor is to push you out of your comfort zone. So we're going to say the word tinkle several times throughout this evening. Um, and we're just, gonna, we're just gonna sit in it, okay? We're just gonna sit in that tinkle, and we're just gonna be okay with that. Because I want, I want you to be more sanctified. I want you to get out of your comfort zone. So my son is tinkling. He's four. He's tinkling, and he, uh, he drops a ball in the, he, a toy. Uh, it was a ball in the toilet. And he, and I was in there. Like, I had just gone into the bathroom. I think maybe I was about to brush my teeth or something. And he, he had this ball, and he dropped it in the toilet, and he looked at me, and I looked at him because I heard the kerplunk. And, uh, and, and we, like, realized, oh, no. Um, and he just instantly just started crying, right? Like he just instantly, little four-year-old tears, and he was just so wrecked of like, oh my gosh, I just, like he realized the gravity of what had happened. Um, and even though it's an easily replaceable item, for him at that moment, it was not easily replaceable. Um, and so I tell you this story also because I want you to think I'm a great dad. Uh, I, I, did, I did what any great dad would do. I reached into his tinkle, and I grabbed hold of that, and I pulled that out of his tinkle, and then washed my hands thoroughly and the ball. Um, I did that, guys. That was me as a dad. I did that. Thanks. I was really pandering for that clap. That was important for me. Um, <laughs> uh, because my son, my four-year-old lost it, right? And he was just eaten up about it, and he, and, he, and he knew, like, oh, no, it's gone. And I was like, oh, buddy. And so I, I, I saved the ball for him. And then we washed it, and we washed it, and washed it. And here's the thing with balls, right? Like, they're going to absorb, right, water. So if it's like a squishy thing, right, it's going to absorb fluid. And so when you squeeze it, this is, you know, right, this is just... We've heard this before, man, what comes out when, you, when it gets squeezed, right? So when this got squeezed, it was tinkle for a while, right? And so I just was running water over it, just absorbing it and squeezing out tinkle so that we could purify this toy so that one day, because his brother is one and a half and absolutely will put that ball in his mouth. Like there is not a doubt in my mind that his brother will put that in his mouth. And so it became this whole sanitation thing. And here's the visual. Here's why I tell you that. One, I want you to think I'm a good dad and I'm insecure. Also though, and I wanted to use the word tinkle. But the real reason, the real reason I tell you that story is because um, I want the visual, and I think for tonight this is going to be really important, the visual, right, that you've probably heard it before, man, what, what comes out of you when the circumstances in your life really squeeze you, right? Like, what comes out? And I think that, as cheesy as that is, right, that visual I think is super important to us. Right, like that visual I think tonight is super important as we talk about barriers when the world sees us right, and they see us under stress, what comes out whenever they see believers, the church, what comes out in, in your life when they see you in circumstances that are going to reveal uh, what is inside you? Um, because we can all put on a good face, 
we can put on a good front, we can fake it until we make it, all of that. But at the end of the day, uh, you're going to be revealed. And you're going to be revealed in front of other people, and that's going to be hard, and that's going to be awkward. And so what does that look like? There is a really clear command of what that's supposed to look like in Scripture. Uh, there's a really clear command of, of, of what should be coming out of us um, whenever hard things happen in our life, whenever we're around other people, whenever we're in stressful situations. Um, and that's holiness. Uh, that's holiness. Uh, this series uh, that we're talking about barriers it's, it's close to my heart because all of these barriers for me have been, um, they, they've been real in my life. They've been stumbling blocks at some point or the other in my life, and I think in your life too. If you missed last week, we talked about the barrier of, of the church maybe not always being the safest place to have doubts. And we talked about what that looks like. That sometimes the church feels like, or ministry, you know, the Christian community feels like the place that it's not okay to have doubts. We even talked about this one, this one specific intellectual doubt of the exclusivity of Christ and just how honestly arrogant it sounds that Jesus is the only way and no other ways work to get to heaven except for Jesus and just how convenient that we all happen to have that way or at least be familiar with that way. What about other countries? And so people in their lives who have really, I would say, intelligent, thoughtful, logical things that they're wrestling through and all they get back from the church is, no, no, you just gotta have faith. Or you just gotta have faith, you gotta believe, don't ask hard questions. And our pushback from that last week was there, there is an absolutely important place, a, a paramount place for faith to play in, in our salvation. We are saved by grace through faith. It's huge. It is impossible to please God without faith. But the church can be a place where it is also safe to doubt and should be. And Jesus modeled that when he allowed people to, to belong in community with him before they believed. Now, were they saved? Did they have a saving? No, 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 not everyone. But he had people in his community that he walked with, that, that walked with Jesus, that he welcomed in, who weren't quite there. They didn't see him as Jesus. They didn't see him as the Messiah. Um, but he allowed them to belong before they believe. And so that was last week. And so this week, where we get when we talk about is holiness coming out of us. Why we talk about that and why we're gonna go to 1 Peter here in a second is because the barrier for so many people in our culture and in our world and, and probably some of you guys uh, in this room, I, I hope some of you um, are, are bold enough to still show up to a night like this even if you're not sold on Christianity, you're not sold on our God, you're not ready to surrender your life to Christ and drink the Kool-Aid and that all freaks you out and you came here anyway or somebody tricked you into coming here and you woke up and they like gassed you and you woke up all of a sudden at a church and you're like, what the heck? Um, right? However you got here, right? I'm glad you're here and if a friend gassed you and brought you here, I'm glad he's here, show him grace or her, I guess it could be a girl, it'd be weirder in my mind for some reason, but that's possible, right? Because what I hope we see is how dangerous hypocrisy is. Hypocrisy as a barrier for people to know and follow and see God for who he is because of the hypocrisy of those who label themselves as Christians. Those who, who by their identity as Christians are saying, I am representing a holy and perfect God. I'm representing a holy and perfect God. And so hypocrisy becomes this thing that our world that you have seen in your life and said, now, this person says they're following Jesus and their life looks like that. I don't know about that. I have major problems. With I have major problems with the God that they are modeling if that's what their God looks like. Um, we got a, a couple minute testimony here from Paige. I, I wanna play this video up on the screen and just listen to Paige's story. Hi, my name is Paige Spencer, and the barrier that kept me from knowing Jesus was the hypocrisy in believers in the church. 
So I grew up in a church where I was surrounded by a bunch of people who cared less about um, the person of Jesus and more about their image. Um, so in that atmosphere, I was very confused about why what believers said they believed in didn't line up with what they did outside of the church. And that was very confusing for me from a young age. And, and so going into high school, I kind of got into a community of people where I wasn't a believer and actively living out my faith, but these people were doing the same things I was on the weekends. So partying and just that whole lifestyle. But on Sunday mornings, they were still at church. And I was at church because my parents made me. Um, but this just really, really confused me. And so I actually went through a period of time where I wanted to seek Jesus. I actually wanted to learn and understand and to follow him. And I sought out questions and people told me that it was fine that Jesus was forgiving and that he didn't really care about sin. And so I looked at the Bible and it said the opposite. It didn't line up. What they were saying um, was simply hypocrisy. So um, I kind of came to the conclusion that it couldn't be true. If these people believed that this was life or death and heaven and hell, then they just wouldn't be blatantly ignoring what was in the book that they supposedly believed in. So. I kind of just disregarded it. I lived a year of my life according to what the world said and according to whatever I wanted to do really um, until I kind of reached what was the so-called top of the worldly status that I was seeking. And um, within that, I turned around and was like, maybe the book has something to it, but the people had it wrong. So from that point, I started to read the book on my own. I sought out the Bible and just what it actually said and not what the people around me were doing or saying about the Bible, but what the book actually meant and said. Um, and within that, I just tried to look and see if there were things that I really didn't believe in. And I started writing down questions and I came into a community about a year later where people were actually acting out what they believed in this book. And they would say that they believed the laws and the commandments and um, the acts of this loving God and Jesus and then you could see the evidence of that in their daily lives and you could see that they actually believed that this was life or death and they wanted to spend their whole lives pursuing that and wanting to know more about it and that was just so encouraging and exciting to me and I felt like that I could finally um, voice my opinion and be heard and be understood by people that wanted the same things I did. So my entire life, I was so turned off by this hypocrisy of the people that surrounded me that called themselves believers, but really only cared about their status and what people thought of them. And then the Lord placed me in an atmosphere where people were diligently pursuing Him and seeking out obedience because they love this God. And that has changed my whole life experience. And I truly am so thankful for being placed in a community of people that really, truly, genuinely love the Lord. I love that. I love that. I love the honesty in her story. Um, and I love that it has a happy ending, right? I love that we can watch that and, and we can see where she got and we can see that she went to the source, right? She saw, um, she saw hypocrisy, right? She was around all these church people, all these people who said, talked a big game, and yeah, I follow Jesus. Their lives looked nothing, they, they looked no different from her life who admittedly wasn't following Jesus, didn't want to have anything to do with God. And so she looked at that, that contrast 
and said, man, if this is it, right, if that's it, then I already have that. That's not real, right? They're not actually following anything. That's fake. That's phony. That's hypocrisy. That's going to invalidate that for me. And praise God that he brought her to the book. And I, I love that she talks about that because I think what that does is it reveals to us, if you claim to be a Christian in this room, that we are the book for a lot of people. We are the book for the culture and the community around us and people are reading us. And so hypocrisy in our life, right, the ways that we come up short, which we come up short, they are testifying to something in our culture. Look what we're, look what we're called to be. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. This is what we're called to be. This is what, this is what the Lord says it should look like. This is the bar. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's a reference to Leviticus 19. And Peter is saying, be holy as God is holy. That's the standard for what it means. As obedient children, if we call ourselves children of the Most High God, he says, this is what the standard is. Don't live the way you used to before you knew Jesus be holy as God is holy. That is a huge bar. About 12 chapters late, 12 verses later, 1 Peter 2, verse 12, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, which are non-believers, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So he's saying, keep your conduct so spotless, so godly, so above reproach that when non-believers come to speak evil against you, they will see your conduct and be like, oh my goodness, there is, I will glorify God because of your behavior, right? Keep your behavior that pure, that's crazy. Another one, I'm gonna drop one more on you. Philippians 2.15 says this, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Over and over and over and over again throughout the New Testament, we see this, right? We see this and the Old Testament, this call for those who say they follow Christ, those who say they follow the one true God in Christ, that they would live their lives in a way that is holy, in a way that a crooked and twisted generation would see them as lights in the world. And if, if we're believers in here, that's what we're called to do. Here's the problem. We don't live our lives that way so often. We don't live our lives that way so often. There is hypocrisy in us, in me, in leaders, in believers. There's hypocrisy there. Right? We have a problem. Right? We have a problem because so often what the world is seeing, the amount of cases we see of pastors who are cheating on their wives or priests who are abusing children, right? Religious figures who are stealing money and frauding people, right? These are prominent leaders. We, I feel like we hear a new story. I feel like I hear a new story every month about someone who is representing Jesus Christ, who has fallen from ministry because they had just been totally disqualified from sin in some horrible way. And the world looks at that and sees that and says, what in the world? One of my favorite quotes in, in regards to this is Brendan Manning. Um, and he said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. Christians who profess Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. 
right? Christians who profess Jesus. And if, and if you grew up listening to DC talk, right? And you're chuckling because it's like, I know that quote because it's on a, on a Christian CD that I used to listen to because I was so indoctrinated as a kid like I was that this is the right thing. And you know that quote. Unbelieving world sees that and they say, yeah, right. Yeah, right. You say this God is good and he's worthy and he's better than everything and he's worth it all. You say this God is worth it all, but you are pursuing the same worldly things that I'm pursuing. That hypocrisy is keeping people away from God. It's a stumbling block. It's a barrier to the world around us. Um, And I wish I could say, man, that stumbling block that you guys are creating is keeping people away. But I am just as guilty of that. I I used to, man, I hate that I'm going to tell this story because it's embarrassing. Um, But I used to run program for camps. It's a weird gig, right? The Christian subculture. So like Christian camps would do like summer camp things and they would hire me and one of my best friends to come and be like the program guys and be funny and talk about Jesus and get up on stage and all that kind of stuff. So this is when I was dating Danielle and maybe like one year into, into marriage, I was traveling around and doing summer camps and then during the year we do like little discipleship now things. And so I would get up and profess Christ and be the funny godly guy and talk, and talk a big game. And there was one camp in Tacoa, Georgia that we were at and I honestly don't remember why I was so mad. Um, but we went on stage, and this is my, my, one of my best friends, Eric, and, uh, and we traveled together, and we did life together, and we were always living in hotels together, and we spent a lot of time together. And so because of that, there's times where bros are going to butt heads on stuff. And, and I, something had gone down that I, I honestly can't remember what it was because it doesn't really matter. But I was ticked, and we went on stage, and we did our little thing, and we put it on a good face, and we like, did what we were supposed to do and kind of did the skit or whatever it was and talked about Jesus. And then we went off stage, and then like a worship band was going to come out, and somebody else was going to preach. And then we were going to go back up on stage at the end of the night. Um, to, to do another little thing uh, at the end of the night. And so we walked off stage, and we were, like, as soon as we walked off stage, we were, like, off character, right? Like, we were on character. Jesus is great. Yeah, here's a funny skit. Oh, cool, I'm stuck in this inbox. And now we get off stage, and we, we were ticked. And it was like, man, let's go outside and talk right now. So we walk out behind the auditorium there at the campground, and we are behind the auditorium at the bottom of a hill, and man, we just start going at it, right? Just yelling at each other. And my amygdala had fired, right? <laughs> so for those of you guys who remember that sermon, there is something in your frontal cortex that when you get emotional, it fires, right? It's called the amygdala hijack. Google it. It's really interesting. You lose all ability to access then your frontal cortex because your emotional, it just shuts off. It takes about 18 minutes sometimes for that to cool off and I can actually access logical thought. So my amygdala was fired, guys. His amygdala was fired, right? For anyone that the word amygdala makes you feel uncomfortable, again, I'm just trying to get you out of your comfort zone, um, <laughs> right? We were, it, we were just ticked, right? And we were yelling at each other. And I don't even remember what it was about, but I remember the words we were using, right? I remember the lack of self-control I had over my words, who had just literally been on a stage in front of a thousand kids at a youth camp, talking about Jesus, representing Jesus, walked around backstage outside the auditorium, you know, concrete walls at the bottom of a hill, cussing each other out. Like not PG-13 cuss words, like R-rated cuss words. Just cussing, and we were just mad. And I love this guy, he's my brother, but we were mad, and I felt hurt for some reason, he felt hurt, and we were dropping them, and it was, and I just remember just out of control, and I don't remember being out of control 
until a youth pastor walked down the hill and came around the corner in the middle of this conversation. And obviously, we just stopped, right? My stomach dropped. And he came up to us, and we were clearly embarrassed is not the right word. Um, right, shame is probably a better word, and crazy amounts of conviction is probably a better word. Uh, and he said, guys, I am trying to disciple a group of young boys around the corner who are struggling to believe, and they weren't in the worship service because these boys had major doubts about who God was. We kind of found this out later as we followed up with him and these guys later in the week. Major doubts. They are not the churchy kids that we brought to camp. These are kids that are struggling. They didn't grow up in the church. They don't know Jesus. They don't know that they want to know Jesus. And I, have, and I am having a, some, a, pri- a conversation separate from them because I love these guys and I want them to know it, and we can hear everything you're saying. And I remember just wanting to just run away, right? Just run away and stop and tell me this is a bad dream. Tell me this just didn't happen. I remember just being sick to my stomach, right? And it's, and it's, it's cuss words, man, but it's this total lack of control. It's this total lack of fruit of the spirit in me that's being revealed for whatever frustrated reason because my buddy ticked me off and, and just this lack of self-control and this group of guys and there's, that happened probably 10 years ago and there's probably not a month that goes by that I don't think about that and just a little bit, just grieve. Just grieve and just hope, God, was I a stumbling block? Was that a seed? And we tried to follow up, and we tried to just own it, and we tried to just humble ourselves. And then with that pit in our stomach, we had to go back in there, put on a good face, get up on stage, and talk about this God who, thank goodness, is so gracious. Thank goodness this God who doesn't hold my sin against me. And so we get to talk about that God. But um, right, that's just in my professional, vocational ministry experience. Guys, I... I have struggled with sin my whole life. I continue to struggle with sin, and all of them, right? I have struggled with pornography in seasons of my life. I have, and yet I have preached against how dangerous pornography is. I have struggled against using food to medicate me from, from sin that I'm struggling with or frustration. I have struggled with a debilitating insecurity and fear of my desire for the approval of men to happen because I say he's worth it all and I preach that and yet I struggle with this sin pattern of, wow, he's, he's, he's really all I care about, audience of one. I just, God's approval is all I really need but really, man, it would be great if all these other people liked me and didn't have anything against me and it, and it manifests itself in prideful ways and manipulative ways and, and really sinful, dark ways in my life because I'm this sinner. And whether I stand on a stage and do it for a profession or whether I'm just in the workplace, in a cubicle next to somebody else who knows I'm a believer, I'm a book that they are reading. I am a book, you are a book that the world, if you profess to be a believer, <coughs> you are a book that the world is reading and saying, let me see this, God. That's a problem. That's a problem. We're called to be holy. We're called to be blameless in this 
called to be light in this twisted and dark world. We got a problem there. And I really do, <clears throat> I really do grieve over that. I grieve over that in my own life. And I look at my life and say, man, Lord, I want to continue to grow. I need to continue to grow. I need to continue to represent you more and more and more and more. We can't, brothers and sisters in this room, people who, we can't be okay with that. Jesus was not okay with that. And I hope, I hope, hope, hope before the end of this night you will hear it. I hope that you know it. I hope that you believe it. The grace of God that covers our sin. The grace of God that covers all of your sin. Your sin from earlier today. Your sin from five years ago. Your sin tomorrow. If you are in Christ, it covers it. But how can we be okay with being a book that testifies something totally different than the gospel of Jesus that saved us if you are in Christ? Um, here's what I would want to say let me say this. Yeah. Yeah, let me say this. If you're in this room and you're not, you don't profess to be a believer. You are here, you're curious maybe, um, but you're here and, and you are, um, yeah, you're curious or you're seeking or you're, for whatever reason, God has brought you here. Um, I, don't, I don't blame you. Like I want, I want to just talk you out of it but I don't blame you. Man, hypocrisy is a problem. You're looking at a bunch of broken people who supposedly are supposed to be showing you what this perfect God who is worth surrendering your life and following looks like. And, and, and maybe you've had experiences in the church and you have been really hurt. I don't blame you. And I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer to just instantly break down that barrier and logic our way out of that as believers, except for the fact that I'm sorry. Like, I really am. I really am sorry. I'm sorry that we, I'm sorry that I don't always, maybe a lot of times, don't represent how good and holy our God is. I'm sorry that sometimes the community of God doesn't represent the holiness and beauty and grace of God. I'm sorry that that doesn't happen. My hope for you and my encouragement for you um, is that you wouldn't give up on that God. Um, my hope and encouragement to you is you can approach us. I would hope that we wouldn't be defensive, although I can't promise that because we're sinners, and say, man, I don't get this inconsistency. Right? Like the guy that walked down the hill to me and raised his hands in frustration as he's trying to disciple others, that you would be so bold to say, I have a major problem with this and this, and let us, let us be a community that's willing to wrestle with those doubts with you, because I am sorry that it happens, and it happens. Um, I, I hope that the rest of this sermon, um, I'm praying and have been praying this week, and our leaders have been praying, that, that the Holy Spirit, whether you believe in him or not, starts poking at your heart. Starts, starts communicating to you things that I will not be able to, lyrics and songs will not be able to, but the Holy Spirit starts poking at your heart um, because I want to shift gears and I want to spend the rest of our time just talking to believers in the room, people who say they're believers in the room. Guys, girls, we can't be okay with this. So how do we fix it? How do we fix it? How do we resolve this problem, right? Here, ultimately, how do we live more godly lives? How do we live more godly lives so that the fruit of our life Others will see and they will say, that God is worth glorifying. How do we do that? Um, uh, he, here's what I, I want to show this image. And this is a, a few images that I want to kind of illustrate this, 
challenge to live holy. And, and some of you have probably seen this. If you've ever been connected to our soul care ministry here at Christ Chapel, uh, it's an incredible ministry. You've probably seen this. They stole it from Jesus. Um, but uh, it's, it's this picture of this tree, right? These trees, these two trees. And, uh, and these trees represent um, a, a life, right? I want us to picture these trees. The one here on the left uh, is, is representing a life that is bearing fruit, right? Like it's a healthy tree. It's got leaves. We'll pretend there's fruit on that tree. And obviously the tree on the right is not bearing fruit. How do, we, how do we grow to be trees that bear fruit? That when people see them, they say, yes, that is healthy, that's good. Whatever that is plugged into, I want. I want that. Not just as a witness to the world, but even just for the glory of God. How do we do that? Because that is our design to bring him glory. Um, show this uh, next picture, Jeffrey. Here's, here's kind of one of the ways I want to identify this. Um, what happens at the top, right, is, is things are produced on the outside of our life, right? The behaviors we have, uh, the, the, outer, the outer shell of what people see of us is the fruit that gets produced. But what happens under the surface on the heart level, right, is what we're rooted in, and that is rooted in our desires, okay? So our desires are, are what we root our lives in. Now, Galatians 5, 22 through 25 says this. <clears throat> the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is, this is good too. In, in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So here's, here's what happens uh, in our life. Let's go to that third tree picture. Here's what happens. I want you to picture these words as fruit from the tree, right? So on the tree on the left, it's a tree that is loving, right? It's got this fruit of, of love. It's a loving person, right? Somebody who loves, who has love, joy and peace and patience and kindness and all of these things, right, that, that exemplify what it looks like to have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And yet, the tree on the right has these things like control, and in your mind, check off any of these in your mind. It's like, yeah, maybe I struggle with that. Control, anxiety, fear, lust, dysfunction, addiction, anger, disorders, depression. Right? This fruit that comes from that. Because one desires Christ and is rooted in Christ, and the other is rooted in self and desires self. So how do, how do we do right? How do we do this? <clears throat> because here's what's super important. We go back to the tree picture, the second one. Here's what the world sees and smells a mile away. And it's just not glorifying to God. We have become really good at producing plastic fruit. Man, if you grew up in the church like me, if you've been around the church long enough, if you're just savvy enough, You've been around this community for long enough. You know what you're supposed to do, what you're supposed to say, and you kind of, and we become really good at creating plastic counterfeit fruit and we staple it to the tree, right? We become experts at that. Of I know what I'm supposed to say, I know what I'm supposed to look, I know what, and so I'm gonna create plastic fruit and I'm gonna staple it to the tree. And that is called hypocrisy. And the world sees that. And more than anything, God sees that and he's not glorified in that. And he's not honored in that. 
And that's a backwards way of doing it. And so any church, and if you leave this service with this mistake, then stop and listen to what I'm about to say. If you hear this and say, man, I'm convicted about hypocrisy. I'm convicted about hypocrisy. It's not okay. I need to fix it. I need to change my behaviors. Then what you heard is a counter gospel message. And that is not what we're preaching from this stage. If we leave here and we say, okay, love, joy, peace, I need to be more loving, I need to be more patient, I need to, and we just try to muster up the religiousness, the goodness in and of ourself to just be good enough. Brothers and sisters, that is exhausting. That's exhausting and that's not God's design for it. So our solution to the problem of our lack of holiness is not let's grit our teeth and just be better people. It's not, it's not pick ourselves up from our bootstraps as Americans, for those of you guys who are Americans, and say, I'm going to just be better and more religious. Because all that's doing is modifying the behavior. What do we need to do to bear fruit? We've got to change our hearts and where our heart roots go deep. We've got to change and beg for the Holy Spirit to change our heart desires. Maybe the most preached, but certainly my favorite, favorite, one of my favorite chapters in Scripture is John 15. John 15, verses 4 through 5, say this is Jesus the night before he's crucified. He's walking through the east gate. He walks into taking his disciples through a vineyard. And this is the last night before he's crucified, and he starts just preaching to them preaching to these guys he loves who are going to begin the New Testament church. And he's trying to tell them how to do this life. He's trying to tell them how to live this life. He's trying to tell them how to bear fruit. He knows what they're about to be up against. He knows he's about to get arrested in the garden several hours from then. And this is what he says. This is what he says. Here's how you do it. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We don't want to just modify our behavior. It's just plastic fruit. It's just pretending to be better, saying the right things, trying to do the right things. We've got to figure out where the roots of our heart go. We need to deal with heart issues of, do I desire self-worship? Because when I desire myself, when I seek myself, when myself is at the core, when myself is sitting on the throne of my heart, what's going to be produced is all of those things. Those things from the tree on the right. Discouragement, depression, anger, lust, control, dysfunction. Those are going to be the fruits that I'm going to produce because that's not God's design. It says it in his word, do we believe it? Instead, we say, Lord, how do I put you at the center of my heart? What does it look like to keep in step with your spirit? Real practically, what does that look like? Let me get real practical, what it looks like to abide in Christ. And again, I want you to be real careful to not hear this as behavior that you need to do. We do spiritual disciplines, not to earn God's grace, not to earn God's presence, but we do spiritual disciplines to put us at the place where we're drinking from the only living water that's really going to produce fruit in our life. So what does your time in the word of God look like? Right? Are you in his word? 
in this life-giving book? Are you spending time reading and applying it and interpreting in your life and surrounding yourself with other believers to say, man, um, what does this mean? And how, how did you see this? And let's wrestle with understanding the truth that's here in community that's doing that and studying the word of God. What does that look like in your life? Because if you're not in the word of God, if this isn't our authority that we're plugged into, then our roots aren't in Christ. We're gonna seek our own authority. We're gonna be the author of our decisions and our desires. What's that look like for you in your time in the word of God? Just real practically to help you abide. Because abiding is a a spiritual posture of our hearts. It's a day by day, moment by moment surrender to God saying, I am not the God of my life, you are. I am not the God of my life, you are. When I surrender to that truth, when I walk in faith in you, and then, I, and then I get in scripture, not to earn something, not to have, but I get in scripture because that's where I get fed and fueled and reminded of who he is. And I surround myself with community, not just for friends' sake, but I surround myself with biblical community who's gonna continue to speak truth into the lies that I wanna believe identify the selfishness, identify where my roots are maybe shallow, where my roots are growing in the wrong direction. And we spend time in prayer and talking to the Lord. We, we intake truth. Have we surrendered to that? Have we put our faith in that? And then are we abiding in that? And that is our heart. This is, this is foundational for believers. I, I think a lot of the Christians in this room This isn't mind-blowingly new information. But when we wrestle with what's at risk in the world around us and the problem of hypocrisy and lack of holiness in our life, do we go to behavior modification or do we go to the gospel? It's straightforward, and yet every one of us needs this truth from John 15 in our life tonight. No one has arrived in this. No one gets to leave here, including myself or other staff members, get to leave here and say, yeah, yeah, I know I've done that. Be careful, that's self-righteousness and that's pride and that is, that is a shallow root in your life. We all get to leave here and say, okay, Father, show me where I need to go deeper in you, Lord. I don't wanna just tweak behaviors. I wanna fall in love with you more and more. I want my desires to be rooted in you and not myself. So Lord, surround me with people who will speak into that. May I be in your word. May I be in prayer with you. And we fight to do that because we fight to grow more and more and more and more. That is how we bear fruit. That is how we live lives that the world sees. And they say, I want to glorify that God. And so maybe, maybe, you struggle, maybe you struggle with pornography. Maybe you struggle with pornography. And you think, okay, I just need to stop. I just need to stop looking at pornography. Yes, it's destructive. It's damaging. It's, it's life-sucking. Right? yes but do you grit your teeth and just try to stop? Or do you say, why do I go to that? What is the desire of my heart, the control, the lust, the instant gratification? Why am I not finding that in Jesus? Why is he not worth it to find in him? And instead of just trying to modify behavior, we instead trade the source of where our roots are digging into and instead we go to a God who does satisfy. And then that fruit bears from it. It's why we don't, It's why we don't just say, hey, you need to stop sinning. It's why we say instead, I want you to love Jesus. It's why I don't have a problem with sinners serving with us and loving and and doing life with us. And we say, okay, yeah, your sin is awful. God takes it seriously. My sin is awful. But instead we say, you need Jesus. 
more of Jesus and let him do that work. Maybe it's a depression. Maybe it's discouragement in your life. Maybe it's anxiety in your life. And it's anxiety in your life because the roots are going to self rather than who Christ is and believing the promises of himself. You know what it is. You know what those things are in your life. My encouragement to you tonight, believer, is that you would trust the Lord with it, that you would confess that, lay that down, and say, Lord, I'm going to reroute my life in you. And don't do that alone. Walk in community with that. And to anyone in this room who's, a non, who's not there yet, who's not following Christ, man, my hope and prayer is that you would, that you would keep tracking with us, that you would continue to walk with this very imperfect community of people as we're trying to very imperfectly point to a perfect God worthy of our worship. Let me pray over you. Father, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. Um, and God, we praise you for this gospel, this gospel of Jesus Christ that is not the starting blocks of the Christian race. It is the entire Christian life. This gospel that says you took broken and imperfect people whose sin is great, whose sin is unacceptable, and you loved us enough to send the perfect, the perfect spotless sacrifice who died on our behalf so that those who put their faith in you might have a relationship, might be rooted in Christ. And that can never be taken away from believers in this room. That movement of faith, that step of faith to surrender our lives to you can never be taken. But Lord, would you make us believers whose roots go deeper and deeper into that gospel? Would we not treat the gospel as just the starting block, but would we see it as the entire marathon of the, of the process that you're doing in our life? Would we see the gospel that you are at the center, that our life is surrendered to you as the solution to our addictions, to our dysfunction? God, we just need this deeper and deeper. And to friends who are in this room or listening to this, God, would you please soften their hearts towards a very real hypocrisy that I'm sure they've experienced and seen. And would you soften their hearts to that so they might see a good and beautiful God who loves broken people? God, would they come to know you? Would that barrier not keep them away from the most important relationship we will ever know? It's with you. Father, thank you for loving us. You do this work in our hearts, Father. You do this work in our hearts. Would we abide? Would we learn what that means deeper and deeper and deeper through your disciplines, through the word, through prayer, through community, every day, more and more? Would we never grow tired of that message? In the name of Jesus, amen.